He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. Telling it like it is. Giving you both sides of the story. This is Cats at Night. Great American, a great New Yorker. Now, here's John Katsimatidis. It's 5 o'clock. This is John Katsimatidis, the number one show at 5 o'clock. And uh, this is a TriCast. We're broadcasting at WABC Studios, 770 on your dial. And we're also on AM 970, The Answer, and WLIR. And uh, we have a great show for you today. Great. And we have two common sense Democrats in the, in the studio. We have Judge Richard Weinberg, Governor Pat, David Patterson, and they outnumber the common sense Republicans. You only got one. One. We have uh, Ed Cox, 10 years, the GOP. Here uh, I am. GOP chairman. <laughs> and. You were the first in-law of the President Nixon. And I'm surrounded by two Democrats here. And they got you surrounded. <laughs> but we're and friends. We, but we're friends. We, we have right. Lydia Serrani, my sidekick on my right, keeps kicking me. And uh, how are you, Lydia, today? I'm doing well, sir. We have an incredible show. Uh, NYPD Chief of Detectives James Essig will be talking to us about that crazy murder in Queens. They caught the guy they believe stabbed that woman almost 60 times to death and then shoved her in a suitcase. We'll also be speaking to Charlie Gasparino. He's going to be talking about CNN Plus, Elon Musk, Joe Jackalone, and um, he's also with uh, John Jay School of Justice, so a lot talking about crime, of course. Meryl Tisch, she is the former chancellor of the New York State Board of Regents. And then now we got John Solomon, right, John? We're going to go to John, John Solomon. Solomon. One smart guy has some breaking news. I mean, where is that breaking news signal? Breaking news, WABC. And on the line with us right now is our favorite intrepid investigative reporter of JustTheNews.com, John Solomon. What's the latest, hottest breaking news? Because if anybody's got it, you do. Oh, there's a lot of breaking news today. I think a big one, uh, a big giant earthquake in Florida today. The Florida legislature withdrew the special tax and governance status that Walt Disney World enjoys in Florida. This has been around since the days of Walt Disney himself. Uh, a real counterattack against the woke culture that has gone there. Meanwhile, lots of other woke companies are getting similar wake-ups. A group of black ministers has taken on several companies in a row. And the former CEO of uh, McDonald's is out there saying he's going to lead a boardroom revolt against wokeism in companies. So that's a big story nationwide. Wow. But I think the big one is Disney. Um, that is breaking today. news. That so, is real breaking news. So what does that mean for Disney? Does that mean well, that the, the stock went from 190 down to 126? Wow. Yes. And then but what does that yeah. mean for the customer? Well, uh, things could get more expensive because there's going to be property taxes now that they're going to be responsible for. So uh, expect your tickets to Walt Disney World to go up, I guess, is one of the things you're going to hear here. Uh, I think you're going to see a deal. I think Walt Disney's going to come back and say, all right, we got the message. I, I think there'll be some negotiation. But right now, well, I uh, think uh, what we talked about last week, John is yes. that woman that was supposedly in charge of diversity trying to convert her five-year-olds to, yes. uh, to a woke culture, to, to, to transgenders. Right. A five-year-old, mm-hmm. she should go to jail. That's mm. insane. Just insane. Most people see it for what it is, insanity. So, and, and what did you say about insanity? the McDonald's CEO, CEO? What did you say about the McDonald's CEO? Oh, no, the former yeah. CEO yeah. of oh, McDonald's board. is joining uh, the Job Creators Network, which is one of the largest small business groups in America. And they're going to start a boardroom initiative, use the, the same tactics 
that the Wall Street movement of 2010 that liberals created, remember that big Wall Street movement back in 2010? They're going to use the same tactics, go into the boardrooms, go to investors, and try to rein in the woke policies of these companies and, and tell these investors and their boards, focus on your core products, not politics. So that uh, that's a heavy hitter when you start getting in that level of a, of a talent. Wow, well, that, is, that is breaking news that finally there are some corporate executives that say enough is enough. Mm-hmm. And how do we usually say it? We're not going to take it anymore. It's hurt. It's yeah. hurt. When you go woke, you go broke. You go broke. That's exactly right. That's exactly the lesson today in Florida. They're exactly right. Uh, and I got one other fun one for you because the Biden administration keeps telling the courts, keeps telling the American public, we are enforcing the remain in Mexico policy. We are doing it. But I hear from the Border Patrol, they're not. And so we went and got the numbers. And so here's the numbers. We'll do a little math quickly. I think it'll uh, put the lie to the Biden administration's claim. There were 221,000 illegal aliens who crossed into the country that were encountered by the Border Patrol last month. That's one of the largest numbers in the history of the country. Only 199 of them got put into the Remain in Mexico program. That is less than one-tenth of 1%. They are not complying at all. They're not complying at all, which means they're thumbing their nose at three federal courts, the district court, the appeals court, and the United States Supreme Court, all of which told the Biden administration you must keep enforcing the law. 199 out of 221,000. That's a number we got exclusively on Just the News this morning. When the President of the United States does not listen to the Supreme Court, what does that mean? We, we could be, as uh, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton said on my show last night, we could be looking at a constitutional crisis, because here's what's going to happen. Right now, it's just a, a temporary uh, ruling. The Supreme Court next Tuesday is going to hear the case. This is a Supreme Court that's already once before affirmed the legality of Remain in Mexico. If they rule again that this is legal and the Biden administration runs out of uh, excuses and legal plays, they're either going to have to comply with the Supreme Court or create a constitutional crisis and say, we're not going to follow the court of the land. And then these states are going to be able to go and try to hold the president of the United States in contempt of court. That would be the next step in the process. It's incredible. I, I, I just can't believe we're at this point in time. It'll go down in history that we have a president that is not only allowing an invasion, he's complicit in it. And, and to yeah. me, I mean, it, it starts to almost uh, go to the T word. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I don't want to use the T word against our own president. I know. Yeah. I know. Because what, what explanation could there be for because this is not sustainable. This is tens of thousands of dollars oh, no. per person, or millions of dollars for a lifetime. This is not sustainable. We can't. We and can't handle this. We have our own problems here in America. If you thought March was bad, the April numbers are trending way beyond that. And once Title Twenty, Title Forty Two is lifted in May, you could see a half million illegal aliens a month crossing. We have no capability to handle that. We will have complete and total chaos at the border, which means our enemies, terrorists, bad actors, cartels will all uh, be in charge of the border, not our men and women who have the power to do so. That, that's the tragedy that we're staring at within the next few weeks. What else? Uh, we got a couple minutes left. What else do you have that uh, it will interest the American people? And you always interest the American people. Oh, well, thank you. So there's, you know, there's some interesting stuff going on in the states. I'm, I'm always fascinated. You know, states are the laboratories for great policy ideas. There is um, in the state Senate in South Carolina today, they passed a new election bill that goes right where Americans say they want it. Voter ID, 
uh, for absentee and have an audit after the election to just make sure everything is copacetic. Widespread support for that. Very few states are doing that. South Carolina is on the cusp of doing that today. I think that's going to be a story that people are going to pay a lot of attention to over the next couple of days. And then uh, on the Biden front, uh, you can tell that the Hunter Biden scandal is now sinking in to the American consciousness. A new poll is out. Two-thirds of voters for the first time believe that Joe Biden is compromised by his ties to China. They don't believe he makes decisions in the national interest. He's doing it because of personal interest on China. That is a real credibility problem for any president if they can't be trusted in the relationship that's probably most strategic to our country's future. Uh, that poll is uh, getting a lot of uh, attention today all around this uh, this country. And his approval rating, what, 30, 33 percent? Yeah, and here's one that's it's even a- more scary. 26% for Hispanics. That's the lowest any Democratic president has ever seen. Uh, and today, I think they just alienated Hispanics again because they went and outreached and did a meeting with the communist regime in Cuba, something that the president said he wouldn't do. Uh, a lot of the Cuban and larger Latino community in America very upset by that approach today by the president. You know, John, you say it all the time, America's under attack. It certainly is. Our school system's under attack. Our legal system's under attack. Our traditional values, everything that... Our borders are under attack. They're trying to kill our kids with fentanyl from from the other side of the border. And the President of the United States is not stopping it. Yeah, you're exactly right. Exactly right. We are approaching that T-word, John Solomon. I want to thank you for speaking out for America and speaking out for all Americans and... uh, that's what we all have to do. And it's not easy yeah. to do, John Solomon, and you have the courage to always speak the truth. And uh, thank you so much for all that you yeah, do. I'm, You're a great I'm American. I'm lucky to be able to have your amazing bullhorn. You have such a great network, and uh, it's uh, one of my favorite. My whole family gets to listen to me when I'm on WABC, so I'm so excited. <laughs> thank you. We'll catch up with you again real soon. John Solomon of JustTheNews.com. Wow. Well, he had some great breaking news there. That's incredible that they're estimating a half a million migrants coming across the border a month once Title 42 is lifted? This is crazy, John. Well, what, what, what about, what about the Disney stock went from $190 down to 121 Somebody better hang those uh, board members. Uh, enough is enough. So those board members, and, and I think the governor of Florida will probably sign that in tomorrow morning. Well, it was a, it was a governor-sponsored bill. There's a program and built both, for the governor. And, and both uh, sets of uh, uh, the, the both the House and the Assembly or whatever they have in Florida both uh, passed it. Yeah. Yeah. What is it? Going woke will make you broke? Yeah. You go woke, <laughs> you go broke. And well, I understand we, we have uh, the chief on the phone. That's right. It. The chief of detectives, James Essig, once again, excellent work by the NYPD capturing the man Allegedly, of course, he's still a suspect, innocent until proven guilty. The man who's accused of brutally murdering that woman in her queen's home. How how are you, Chief? Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Thanks for having me, Chief. You're on here. You're on every week because you're a hero once a week. Or your <laughs> men are heroes once a week. Yeah, John. Uh, hey, the, all the credit goes out to the detectives out there who are pounding the pavement. And uh, you know, we've had a lot of high profile extensive media cases just recently and time and time again they come through making that arrest real quick and uh you know maybe calming the city's fears right you had the brooklyn subway attack shooting and now you have this the handyman that's what they're that's what you guys are saying that he did this 
They apparently had some sort of intimate relationship. I mean, when this was first playing out, I feel like it gripped the entire nation. Oh, well, we don't Every, deliver, grip, they don't deliver milk anymore. I mean, for her to be carried <laughs> off in her in her son's hockey bag down the street, and they saw a video of this guy in a blood trail, like little breadcrumbs to the doorstep, and it's incredible. And you guys wrapped it up and got a confession out of him as well. We got the we lo- I think we lost the chief. I was talking to myself. Well, yeah, I'm sure he's going to call back. He'll call us back. So Let's get him back. I was listening to the press conference today. He'll probably call us back momentarily. And they he confessed. That's what they said. He inc- made a very... I hope I didn't move this mic. Remember, I had trouble with this mic. No, I don't think you did anything. No, I thought I heard a little click of the phone. So it, the, the call somehow dropped. But do it, 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 you think you'll see a Dateline uh, movie on this one, Judge I, Weinberg? I, I think this is the kind of story that they always put on Dateline. Governor Patterson, are you surprised the handyman did it? Uh, no, I thought the handyman didn't do it, actually. I thought no, the husband I, hired a hitman to do it. Uh, what I got was when he used the wife's phone to send messages to the husband. Yes. I guess it had something to do with some contempt he had for her or the whole family. Yes. Um, I, I'm not sure. Was there supposed to have been a relationship between him and the wife? That's what the chief of detectives, uh, James Essig, we got you back on the line. So I did. Yeah, I was listening to the press. It's okay. I was listening to the press conference, and one of the officers did say that it appears that the suspect had an intimate relationship for almost two years with the victim. Yeah, uh, they they did have an intimate relationship, and then they had an argument that night. Um, you know, and and let's not forget, you have a, uh, a a grieving husband now with two kids, and and even a perpetrator in this. He has a family, so uh, I'd rather not get into the specifics of their relationship but uh you know a a terrible tragedy all around well we knew it was a crime of passion because uh, he he didn't bring his own knife he didn't bring his own weapon it was a knife used from the home right and the bag that was used to transport the body was also the son's hockey bag correct yeah that's correct uh you know he was a handyman there he worked in the uh, on and off jobs in the house for for the last two years so he had knowledge of uh, where the bags were and uh, where 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 everything was in the house. Wow. Yeah. This, wow. So this is just such a heartbreaking story. She was a beautiful yeah, woman, and the neighbors story. say she was always happy. She had two beautiful sons, a loving husband, it appears. And for it to happen like this, it's just such a tragedy. You know, you never know who you let into your home. Yeah. Uh, like I said, uh, before I got cut off, a lot of high-profile cases in the last, geez, the last month or so. And, uh, you know, the detectives are out there. And whether it's the uh, the 61-year-old uh, unintended victim who was shot and killed in Bronx or the three teenagers coming out of school in the Bronx or various other places in the city, they're really doing a great job quickly making arrests. The subway attack last week, is, as we spoke about, you know, great job by the detectives. So what do you say to people that say, you know what, the cops, they don't care anymore. They're not doing their jobs. They're always just on their phones. Well, I'll tell you, I I speak to these detectives. I talked to Carmine uh, Caruso from Queensdorf Homicide today and uh, Detective John Bezoid, who was the 112 lead detective in this, the 112 precinct. They take personally these crimes personally. They they don't just work eight-hour days. They're on their phones at home on weekends. 
It's taken them away from their families. They're dedicated individuals. And, and you see these incidents happen, that subway incident, 30 hours we have that guy in cuffs. This, this job here, it, it kind of rocked the city. You see international news, basically. The detectives were there day and night. They, they, they give a damn, these guys. They really do, these guys and girls. Well, and they got the suspect here in 96 hours. Wow. Well, yeah. Chief... Chief of Detectives Essex, thank you for so much for a great job for all the NYPD and all NYPD detectives, and, and we'll catch up again with you real soon. Yeah, John, thanks a lot for having me. Uh, sorry about that technical difference. Not a problem. Not a problem. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. I understand now uh, we have a, a good friend of this program. He's been on before. Uh, he's, um, uh, he, he was the Attorney General of Oklahoma. And then he was the EPA administrator under President Trump. And now we have some breaking news, WABC. And the person with that breaking news, Scott Pruitt. How are you, sir? Well, good afternoon to you guys. How are you? I understand you have some announcement to make. And uh, uh, please tell WABC and uh, we'll, the whole East Coast will know. Well, John, it's good to be with you all. And, uh, yes, I, I decided to run to the United States Senate uh, here in Oklahoma. It's an open seat and uh, decided that recently. You know, when I left Washington, D.C., we were energy independent. We were exporting energy to the world that uh, countries now that are you know, suffering as a result of what's happening in Ukraine. And here we are four years later, John, from when I left, and we're, we're energy dependent and, uh, and reliant upon our foes for for the energy that America needs. So it's a very momentous time uh, in this country. We need folks in the U.S. Senate that are that have courage, uh, that have kick, conviction, but don't make it personal. You know, I and, and not only well, uh, uh, we're giving $110 a barrel to our enemies, to Russia, Venezuela. Uh, now, uh, you know, the Arab countries are making them zillionaires again. Yeah, and look, I mean, we we need leaders to understand that this country uh, doesn't have to be dependent uh, upon these sources. We've got enough natural resources in this country, obviously, to serve our needs and the world's needs. And and we see, John, you know, when America withdraws, when America's not exporting energy to the world, what happens? We see the kind of events that's happening in Ukraine. You know, Romania, Bulgaria. Eastern Europe, I mean, those areas of the world are desperate. They're hungry. They're thirsty for American energy, and we're not getting them that source. And so, so, so we have to do better. We need different kind of leadership in the U.S. Senate. You know, I really believe the Senate, U.S. Senate ought to be a place where thoughtful leaders get together. They tackle these tough issues. They use persuasion, and we work together to solve these as opposed to just being divisive and populist. And I think what's happening in this country right now is that Americans across the country – are really, really dissatisfied with the kind of leadership they see coming out of the White House, but also the Congress. And uh, I seek to change that. So, so I'm glad to be back in it. I, John, I, you know uh, that, that it's been four years since I left Washington, and uh, I seek to go back to try to leave with the same kind of conviction I had before. Scott, Ed Cox here. How long is it going to take? You know, Oklahoma is a leading state with respect to energy production, always has been. Uh, how long is it going to take for the energy industry to crank up again and get up to a level that was before? I think it's about 12, 12, uh, 12 million uh, uh, barrels a, a, a day. Wasn't that where, where they were? Well, I know this. I know this, Ed. I know that when, when I was serving there and, and with President Trump's leadership, 
we did it in a very short time frame. I mean, as you yes, know, sir. we did it in a couple of years. And, and I think that we can, we can look, it's not a matter of having access or being able to produce. That's not the issue uh, in my view. You know, what the issue is presently is the transportation related uh, holdups that we have on pipelines, the rest domestically and with Canada, but also the infrastructure to liquefy our natural gas, to turn it into LNG, to export it to areas of the world that are desperate for it. And we need to enhance our capacity there. And that could be done in a very, very you know, aggressive fashion by, by, by enhancing the permitting uh, procedures. And, and the president today, in my view, can use National Security Authority to suspend some, suspend some yeah, of those. Yeah, he could use the Defense and, Production and, and, Act, couldn't he, to, to get ab- it going? Absolutely. Yeah, but- absolutely. And, 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 and we have projects in Louisiana. We have projects in Texas, as you know, that we could liquefy more natural gas to get to, to those areas of Europe that want to wean themselves off of Russian you know, energy. And so, look, these are geopolitical issues. You know, energy is like currency. You know, it, it, is, it is used as, in, in, in ways that advantage and disadvantage countries across the globe. And, and we as a nation are blessed, and we need to, you know, take our heads out of the sand as a country and recognize that we can produce, we can export, we can serve America's needs, and we can also protect the environment. We've done it. We've done it as a nation. Let me ask you this. Would it be better for the U.S. to be producing energy or China? Would it be better for the U.S. to be producing energy or India? Or, or countries like that. I mean, we do it better than anybody in the world, and we need to get back into the business of doing it. You bet. General, it's, uh, it's Judge Richard Weinberg. What I'm troubled by is the obstacles that the Biden administration on a daily basis is putting to production. They have new regulations every day, and they use every kind of agency they can get their hands on to stop permitting and drilling. What do you say? Yeah, I mean, most recently, uh, the, the new NEPA regulations, uh, the National Environmental Policy Act, uh, every agency, as you know, and that, not, that only impacts energy, uh, Judge, but it impacts uh, infrastructure, transmission infrastructure. So any project, uh, the, the infrastructure package we had last year, all those projects have to go through environmental reviews, and the president and the White House made that far more difficult with their recent enactment. They, they enlarged the timeframes. And they, and they changed the substance in, in the requirements as well. They enhanced the maximum requirements. And so this, this administration is absolutely going backwards in so many different ways, practically, you know, with the areas I talked about a minute ago, but then placing more regulatory hurdles, uh, NEPA and permitting requirements that make these projects that much slower to bring to market. And, and that's more money and, and it's less efficient. Well, Scott Pruitt, uh, you know, I'm personally endorsing you. You've been my friend for a while and, uh, and, uh, uh, get us some more information, and we'll have you on again real soon. And uh, what we have to do, you have a, a website yet? Uh, yeah, all that's being put together. Scott Pruitt, uh, uh, Scott Pruitt, Oklahoma, has one site that people can go to. That's a that's a small donor uh, page that people can go and and uh, join the join the uh, the team. Uh, Scott for Oklahoma. Uh, dot com and then uh, Scott Pruitt for Senate dot com is the other that's uh, I don't know if it's online yet but I just announced I think it may be online but uh, it's not it's coming soon. Well, thank you so much, Scott Pruitt, and uh, we'll we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thank you. Thanks, John. Thanks, everybody. Now are we going to take a break now? We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll be speaking with a Charles Gasparino. We're going to talk about CNN. The market, the market went from plus 300 to minus 300. Yes. That's 600 points. I'd like to know what Charlie has to say.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A common sense recap of the day's biggest stories. It's John Katsimatidis and Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katsimatidis Cats at Night show. Uh, Gracie from Rockland County emailed me and asked me what T word you were talking about, John. We're not going to say it. Though. I'm not going to say it. It rhymes with not, please don't. It's something please to don't. do about Patrick Henry. Okay. Was it a reasonable word? It's freezing in here. Okay. First, let's go to, is that help you, Gracie? (laughs) We're going to go to uh, Charlie Gasparino. He's on the line for us right now. Hi, Charlie. You hear music. I'm in Miami Beach, by the way. Oh, Oh, rub it in. Why don't you? It's actually cold up here. (laughs) Anyway, what's going on in the markets? It went from plus 300 to minus 300. uh, And uh, something about uh, this. that the governor, well, price of Disney stock went from 190 down to 121. Both houses of the legislature uh, in Florida, and you you probably voted twice, uh, <laughs> uh, said that they should break up uh, Disney's exclusive or, or whatever. Uh, non Your ability, your ability to govern privately. They're essentially a private government right. down here in Orlando. Um, you know, here's what I would say about the market. I, I think it's I mean, listen, it, it obviously traded off on, on the Powell comments, right? And I think the market is starting to finally digest that we're going to – we're in a, a, a higher interest rate environment that, you know, the, even someone as dovish as Jerome Powell, you know, can't preside over 8% plus inflation, and he's going to have to raise rates. And, you know, he's going to be under congressional pressure, by the way, if the Republicans take Congress. If, if, let's just say a year from now we have we still have – very high inflation that he hasn't done enough. Do you, do you imagine what, how miserable his life's going to be before Congress? Uh, so he's got to he's got to like move, and you know, and I think that's going to take the froth out of the market. And I, I think you know, one of the things, John, over the last year, which is which to me has been the scariest part, that Jerome Powell had no clue that by printing all that money. He did. He basically not just overheated an economy that did not need it because we were through basically the pandemic stage of COVID. The uh, Donald Trump gave us one of the best stimulus packages in the world in the vaccines, which might not have been great against Omicron, but they worked against the other ones, right? Omicron, thank God, was a less severe, less severe one, so we didn't have to shut down. The, the economy was open again, but he did that. He just flooded the zone with liquidity despite that, with printing money and low interest rates long after it was necessary. He applauded Joe Biden's spending plan, which also, you know, hyped the economy beyond what it needed. And now you have inflation. And on top of that, you have dozens and dozens of new asset classes created in, in things people invested in that have no substance whatsoever in, in profits or anything like that. I mean, you know, at least the old dot-com bubble you can literally say, well, you know, Amazon didn't have profits at first, but guess what? You know, it had a great business concept. You know, NFTs, I, I mean, tell me what the business concept there is. I mean, really, I mean, so. 
Charlie, that's all by zero interest rates, and now we are paying the price. And the unwind is is going to be messy, and and it could be. You know, I'm not saying it's going to go down in a straight line. For all I know, tomorrow it's going to be up 600 points. Yeah, but, Ed, uh, Ed Cox you know. here, Charlie. There's a saying: Don't fight the Fed. Well, under that's Volcker, true. you knew which way the Fed was going. But which way is the Fed going? I mean, uh, there is going to be a 50 before Ukraine. There is going to be a 50 point uh, uh, hike the next time. And then he, the Fed put happened and he went down to 25. The market shot up. And now he's talking 50 points. Where is it going? Uh, you know, he's, a, he's a, an enigma as a Fed chair. He's very, uh, you know, they're all supposed to be enigmas. Like you're supposed to, you know, they're also supposed to speak in Fed speak. Um, you know, uh, Alan Greenspan was was great about that, but you know, you kind of understood where he was coming from, and what he would do. Uh, this guy is pretty bad at his job, I think. I mean, I, 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 it's the only way to say it, and it's he's part of the incompetence that's in Washington. I mean, here's the problem that the Democrats have: if you put this all together, if there's one thing that looks that, that you can define government as right now, federal government, it's incompetence. It's down the line, Afghanistan. Mask mandates, you know, in the face of declining hospitalizations, people get the flu, we're going to make people wear masks still. Uh, inflation is transitory, but it's not. You know, I could, you know, just stuff that's going, I mean, you know, we're supposed to be flooding the zone with weapons for Ukraine, but we're not. The border? It really well, is an, so, it's a border. I know I'd leave that out, but I mean, it's just so much Charlie, confidence. Some, somebody said that today uh, in Washington. We got it. Biden has to get rid of the incompetent people in his administration. And there's so many. He's the leading incompetent. Well, that we know, but he can't really get rid of himself. And you don't want him to resign, Charlie. Because what's next? You got something even worse. worse. I'd rather have the Easter Bunny at this point. Well, you've got the Easter Bunny. The Easter Bunny was more astute that day. You know what's so funny about Biden, what's scary and funny, is that he could have done nothing and been incredibly successful. Yeah, and he, you know he had some weird, grandiose plan. I mean, I don't know who was talking to him, what he was drinking, and you know, who's in this guy's ear. But you know, you know, he wasn't the—he was never the most sort of thoughtful, you know, guy, at, you know, in the world. He was always kind of a mile wide and an inch deep. But uh, Jesus, I mean, he turned out to be fine. I thought he'd be at least decent. I, I really did. I, I, you know, it's it's very frightening that he's not. Um, but now, he, you know, he, big, he, big moves at CNN. Uh, well, that's, you know, that kind of gets back to Biden. I mean, let's look at it this way. Let's just say you create a business model where you need to appeal to people. You're going to do that by emulating everything that comes out of Joe Biden's mouth, which is essentially CNN. Everything that comes out of Joe Biden's mouth, the woke policies, you know, the crazy stuff about inflation and crazy stuff about how to run the country gets very low approval ratings from the American people, as we know. That was CNN's business model. They tried to kind of double down on that in a, in a sort of uh, an appeal to millennials and people who are cord cutting by doing that business model through a streaming service. And then amid all this, they get bought by, by Discovery. And, you know, people at Discovery like David Vazloff can read a balance sheet. And they're like, oh, my God, what, am I, what are we doing? We just spent $500 million dollars on something that appeals to nobody or declining audience or something that MSNBC does literally on the cheap. You know, they, they have economies of scale with NBC, so they could be 
as left as possible, but they do it without the infrastructure that CNN does. So it's right for cuts. And, you know, if you got to, if you got to scale down, you know, they, they promised shareholders on this deal, $4 billion of savings. You, you kind of look for low hanging fruit. Trust me, CNN plus is pretty low hanging. And, you know, I say this, not as somebody that, I have friends that work there. I don't want to see anybody be out of work, but it was a very ill-conceived project. And, um, you know, I guess what was going on when they created it, they thought somehow they could tap into, you know, maybe that Trump anger would, would be everlasting that they could, you know, get some of that, some of that juice that they got early in the Trump years. But that's kind of gone. I mean, you know, if you think about it, you know, people moved on. I mean, I, I think Donald. You know, Charlie, Charlie, talking talking about unemployed. What happens to Chris Wallace now? I know he left know Fox, upset. taking shots at Fox as he went over to CNN Plus. When you go woke, you go broke. When are people going you know, to learn? I, you know, I think Chris Wallace will land. Right, he'll probably get Chris Cuomo's spot. At least that's what I'm reading, and that makes sense. I, I, I have no idea. I, I I have no contact with Chris Wallace, and I'm not asked. But I mean. You know, it just, uh, I mean, does he really need to work? I mean, he's been in this business forever. He's, I'm sure he's wealthy. I mean, some of this is like he went to do, I mean, if you listen to him or what he said, if you take him at face value, he went to try something kind of radically different with his career, you know, uh, an online service that he could do softer interviews and stuff and not be in a daily grind. And, you know, he got paid for it. Listen, they got to pay him, right? Yep. You're going to pay him out. I mean, if, you, if I'm him, I'm like, you got to pay me. We're going to let you get back. We're going to let Judge, you had a question? Yeah, Charlie, it's, uh, it's Richard Weinberg. What's going on with Musk in the Twitter fight? Um, listen, I think the ball's in his court. And here's the one thing I will say. You know, people are going to line up. The, the business media hates Musk. They think he's too conservative, right, the mainstream media. They're, they're going to say all this stuff about him being crazy and this and that. Here's the bottom line. Twitter's been trying to sell itself for you know, since it was IPO'd in 2013, it IPO'd. The insider price was 29. It, I think it settled the first day at 46 or something like that. That's about where it was before Musk's bid. So it created no, almost no shareholder value in, in almost 10 years. If his bid is real, which he's got money now back, back at it, it's almost illegal to say no to it. It's a breach of fiduciary duty. If it's real money, it's... How, how do you say no? Now, they may come back and say, well, the stock traded at 73 last summer. But, you know, it's not going to reach that again. That was all Fed pumping the market up. Remember, last summer, all stocks were going nuts, right, because Jerome Powell had his foot on the gas. Those days are over. This thing is going back to where it was, and that might be $18 a share. It makes no money. It's run very badly. (laughs) It runs runs very, very badly. The board is dysfunctional, according to Jack Dorsey, the ex-CEO. I don't know what else you want. He and and it, but what's great about Elon? He's saying, "Listen, I'm taking a private. I'm going to pay you. You're going to get some money out of this. You, the shareholder, and then you're done with it. It's my. It's, it's on me and, and my. And well, my the other breaking news. I mean, I'm sure you know it is that uh, there's suggestions that uh, he take in some shareholders that want to come over. Maybe I don't know about that. I, I do know what I broke last week. Was that private equity was interested in, in a lending facility, like to take senior debt where they have first lien on the assets? But if you notice, if he's private, if this is a privatization, which it is, taking a private LBO, going private, you know the shareholders are out there. They don't have to worry about this anymore. They got a few bucks. 
move on. And then yeah. the business does great. Move on. They'll, move on. Still sell it. Move on. Yeah, uh, I'm going to let you get back to your Miami. Uh, you sound like you're at the pool. And go I take have. a go go take a jump in the pool for me. And uh, God bless you. Enjoy, enjoy, and uh, we'll see you when you get back to New York. There are beautiful sights here in Miami. Trust me on this. I'm, I'm, I, can, <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. <laughs> Let's take a break, right. and we'll be right back. Thank you. Charlie. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. Welcome back to the John Katzmatidis Cats at Night Show. On the line for us right now is Joe Jackalone. He is a retired NYPD detective sergeant, so I should be calling him Sergeant Jackalone. He is now a professor. Uh, at John Jay College of Criminal Justice, and he always tells it like it is what's going on here in New York City, the crime. I know the Queen's murder, that's a whole separate issue, uh, but you, you just keep hearing the more and more. The milkman did it. Oh, my God. And did you see that guy? He looks so evil, too. But, we, you know, there's also other crime just down here on this one block. We're in Midtown Manhattan, beautiful area, and you just see homeless people everywhere now. It's getting to a point where um, the mayor needs to act. I mean, he's done a lot of talking. He needs to get some of these plans in order because he has several of them. I think he needs to pare those down and and start acting upon these things. I mean, listen, he's going to have to get the city council on board, right? I mean, half the city council is basically fighting him on tooth and nail on everything. But as we start, we still see 30 and 40 percent increases a week in, in crime. I mean, when does uh, somebody say, you know, with common sense – you know what? Something really needs to be done. Maybe some of the, uh, you know, reforms that we have, maybe not all of them are good. Joe, we need to un- un- undo this stuff. Joe, it's, uh, it's Judge Richard Weinberg. I'll tell you what troubles me a, a great deal. You have the subway pusher who killed that poor, uh, that poor young woman. And then yeah. now it's just been declared that he's not fit for trial. And oh, my God. He's he's not not so I trial. read that this morning. Yeah, the one so with Michelle Gell that so was killed. I mean, it raises a question. If he's not fit for trial, why was he walking in the streets? Well, exactly, Judge. And, and here's where the other problem comes in, right? New York City Department of Homeless Services never holds a presser. They never tell us what happened with this individual, why he was on the street, how many contacts were made, right? So if this Numerous. was a police department issue— they would have the police department would have been pulled out on the carpet. They would have said, "How many contacts did you make with this person? What did you do about it?" But we never see that accountability of any other city agency other than the police department. Yes, I'm a little biased when it comes to that, but you know what? Someone needs to point me in a direction that says otherwise. You know what? The homeless services department of homeless services there. They're full of crap. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> no, and listen, you had you had a leader of the department of homeless services whose whole agenda, and who became the commissioner. His whole agenda was to get the people out so they have a civil right to be out on the streets. Well, I mean, that's what, and then everybody else's civil rights gets violated, right, when they get thrown in front of a train or some other issue that gets ha- happened. Listen, there are a lot of people that need the mental help that they're not getting. And if the police do come in contact with them or there's an arrest made, they have an opportunity to intervene 
at central booking before that person is released, before they're given either no bail or anything else. They have an opportunity to get that person an evaluation and see if they can get them help before we put them back out on the street. Sergeant, just, yes. uh, uh, Sergeant this is David Patterson. Did you read about the guy who was dancing? Uh, he had a boom box and he had it on a corner on the Upper East Side. And he was uh, Monday morning. He attacked six people. He hit a woman in the head with a bottle. He stabbed a couple of people, and the LeVon police finally Davis. restrained him, and they took him to prison. That's the corner I live on. I've passed him 10 times in the last month. Wow. Just walking yeah. around that corner. He's got 27 priors, by the way, and he's Governor. He's got 27 priors, and uh, I passed him Sunday morning. And then when I came out Monday morning, I saw all the activity after this, this uh, episode. And I'll tell you, you don't start really appreciating the increase in crime until you realize how close you are to it yourself. He had a bad hit of meth, apparently. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, listen, we know that drugs are a huge problem. We know that people being arrested 20, 30, 40, and 50 times. Listen, I'm all for second chances. It's the guy like the Frank Abroke was, right, who gets 50, 60 chances. The Those trainer. are the guys that I'm worried about. The poop trainer you know, guy. Are, right. Those are the guys I worry about. You know, I'm not worried about the first-time <laughs> offender, you know, the shoplifter who gets caught doing something because, you know, he or she made a bad choice. I understand that, and, and I understand what some of the reforms are about. But you know, we have individuals who, you know, for lack of a better term, they need to go to jail because they, they don't understand anything else. So my friend, she takes the subway every single day for work, and she said more people are not paying the fare than paying the fare. It's become such an epidemic. This is not sustainable. John, I mean, how how would you feel? Like, thank God I don't have to take the subway. I I know you take it, Governor. But, I mean, you take it, Ed Cox. I mean, how would you feel? You're paying, and most people are not paying. How is this sustainable? How are we going to keep funding the MTA? And how is this fair? And this should not be legal. This needs to be taken seriously. Uh, Sergeant Jackalone, what can be done? Well, listen, I take the train every day. Every, not every day. I take it every, you know, when I'm in school, I take the train. And I can tell you that you watch people just uh, underneath the turnstile, over the turnstile still, just like the old days. And, I, and I've been saying this many times. If they really are serious about stopping pe- perpetrators in, going into the system, it's at the turnstile. Get them before they come in. Listen, if it's a minimum, park a police car outside of the station, have cops or in and around the area. I mean, just the deterrence alone could stop that because we hear the stories from time to time, and then when they show us the video of the individual fleeing or getting onto this, what is he doing? He's jumping the turnstile. So it's an opportunity to prevent it. I know uh, it, it. I know it works. Uh, when I was a cop a long time ago, we were doing this. It Bro- keeps bad guys from carrying guns in the subway. Broken window theory worked. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Go back to broken window policing. They can call it proactive policing if they don't like the phrase broken window. I mean, right? Detective, well, it, it, Sergeant. Well, yeah, but, but, yeah, broken windows. I mean, it has, has a bad connotation these days. Just like stop questioning, yes. and all these other things. Uh, just because people keep on telling us it's bad, that doesn't make it so, right? They keep on saying things are bad. Uh, the community is are the ones that are driving the police presence. They want to have cops. They want to do this. It's the people that don't live in those communities are the ones that seem to be the loudest about anti-policing rhetoric. Well, we had Michael Goodwin on, and what are, we've seen that more African-Americans have died 
in 2021. Three, what was it, 3,000 more nationwide? I mean, black and brown victims, it's an uh, more, epidemic. More kids have died more than ever. Absolutely. Black Lives Matter has cost more people their lives and destroyed more, more black lives exactly. killed more than ever. Well, black lives apparently only matter to black lives when it's at the hands of a white cop. When it fits their narrative. Oh, even a black cop. Even a black cop. You're right. You're right. You're 100% and give, right. give credit to the mayor for saying, where was Black Lives Matter when there are all the murders going up in Harlem? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you had was... the 11-month-old shot in the face. You got the 12-year-old that was shot in the head in, in Brooklyn. You had the 22-year-old woman that was shot in the Bronx. You want to talk about data like you just said, like you were saying yesterday, Judge Weinberg. There's and the data. The data is all the bodies that are piling up. The people are intimidated. The Buildings, commercial buildings are not being filled. Tourists are not coming in. Hotels are empty. Restaurants are closing. There's your data, state legislature. Do something about it. And the fact that we have, we've had nine women murdered uh, in the city so far this year, which is definitely an off-the-chart statistic, and of which the nine, I believe, were all unattended targets. Right. So I'm not even talking about the lady who was murdered in Forest Hills just recently. I was, I'm talking about nine individuals who just hit, were hit with stray bullets or pushed in front of trains this year alone. And that's a, that's a statistic that really jumps off the page. Random attacks. Mm-hmm. There were 30 pushings in front of trains Professor in Joseph Jacqueline, uh, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, we all fight together because I think we all stand for uh, truth, justice, and the American way. Isn't that Superman? That was. That was it. George Reeves. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And we're going to take a break. And then when we come back, we're going to come back with Merrill Tish. And we're going to ask the question, are the kids getting the education that they're supposed to be getting? And um, I think that's an interesting question. And I'm worried. It's a common sense recap of the big stories. It's Cats at Night on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the John Katz Matidi's Cats at Night show. Now on the line, we have another brilliant woman, Meryl Tish, and you know her well, Ed Cox. I sure do. Meryl, it's good to have you on, on, on the show. John, blessings in this holiday season to you and your beautiful family. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And I don't know who's been more dedicated to the New York education system than you as the chancellor of the regents and now as chair of the State University of New York. Could could you give us your assessment of uh, of of where we are now with respect, particularly with respect to K through twelve, here in New York City, where there's new leadership here? Mm-hmm. Well, I have had the privilege of knowing David Banks and working alongside him uh, when he was at Eagle Academy. He is a man of compassion, a man of deeds, of decency, of values. And he believes in education. I'll tell you the other thing about David Banks. He likes to get to yes with everyone. He's not at cross purposes with anyone who wants to do the right thing by children, families, and New Yorkers, and teachers, and principals, and all of the people. So I think we've got to take a breath. I think we've got to give him a chance. We've got to support Everything that helps him get to yes, we've got to uh, make sure that we get our kids and the numbers back in public schools. He's 
expanding gifted he and the mayor are expanding gifted and talented programs i believe they're going to expand the opportunities for the screened high schools these are all positive developments but it won't happen if new yorkers don't back them 100% there's no no time here for equivocation we've got to be forceful we've got to be straightforward and we've got to be aggressive Amen. And, Do you disagree? Uh, I agree completely. Uh, you know, he started uh, his Eagle Academies as an alternative schools back at the same, same time as we started at the state university authorizing mm-hmm. uh, charter schools. And so we knew a lot of mutual people, and uh, the chancellor and I hit it off very well. And now we are involved in working with him on getting internships into the high school system so people start focusing on jobs that can have make their make their education meaningful and a lot of the lessons that he learned with the eagle academies uh were how he's now putting into effect with uh with the k-12 system here i hope so and i hope people give him the opportunity to make advancement and change without mm-hmm. making without making gratuitous enemies Anyone can pick a fight. You can pick a fight with anyone, but only pick a smart fight that helps move the chessboard across the bo- across the table. We want improvement. Merrill, so, it's, uh, it's Judge Richard Weinberg. I want to ask you this. You've been involved in the educational process for years and a, a person of great reputation. What I'm concerned about is the lost time because of COVID that these kids had. And how do we make up for this? Because I don't want to have a lost generation here. I I agree with you. You know, it's been tragic, the, the toll that this has taken on our children across the system. I would say that we need to really focus on an extended school year, on what we do with the summer weeks while these kids are out of school. I think that uh, the former mayor... Michael Bloomberg gave a gift of $50 million to help advance summer education for kids in charter schools. I think that we need to do, we have a lot of money in K-12 system now that hasn't been spent. I think we need to have an accountable system. What do we do with all of this money that's coming from the federal government to help these kids make up for lost time. I do not believe that we should allow any child to go fallow during these 12 weeks of summer. I think we should increase summer learning programs, summer internships for our youngsters in high schools. We need to be creative, we need to be thoughtful, but we need to be aggressive. Governor Patterson had a fantastic idea Yes. A chance of my idea. Well, you know what my idea was from years ago. My idea was to start the school day later and to end the school day later to keep the children in the classroom during the three to seven hours when all the youth problems occur and also to make sure that they are protected uh, by being in an environment where by the time their parents get home, they will uh, uh, not be in any trouble. We need to rethink what our school day looks like. 
Listen, we have phenomenal teachers and principals. Meryl, we're out of time, but I want to thank you for coming on. And and we have to discuss it further on another day because... Blessings. Blessings to everyone. Thank you. And Judge Weinberg, thank you. Governor Patterson, Ed Cox, thank you. My sidekick, Lydia Serrani. And uh, God bless 